My guest today is NAEMT President Bruce Evans. He's coming up to his first 100 days in office. We're going to discuss that. We're going to talk about TIP, treatment in place, and we're going to talk about the forthcoming EMS on the Hill. I'm Rob Lawrence, and this is EMS One Stop. Welcome to this week's show. Uh, my guest is Bruce Evans, Fire Chief for the Upper Pine River Fire Protection District, which is located in Bayfield, Colorado. He's also retired EMS Chief for the North Las Vegas Fire Department. But today's hat, however, is that he is the president of NAMT. Bruce, welcome. Thanks, Rob. Always great to chat with you. Do you remember, Bruce, the first time we met? Mm, I, I would uh, guess it might have been at Pinnacle or it might no, have been. You were part of a Fitch team that came in to uh, have a look at the city of Richmond's uh, fire and EMS. Yeah, that was with Mike Ragone, if I recall. With Mike Ragone. I mean, what a couple of uh, superstars coming in. So we were kind of, oh, my goodness, with these guys and they really know what they're talking about. But uh, you gave us a gold star. So thank you very much. <laughs> well, well earned there. Raw is just a, a fantastic organization. So very proud of that. So they, that was the first time. But also I sent you a photo yesterday, uh, which popped up in my Facebook feed of you on the podium seven years ago at EMS on the Hill. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on as well. Gosh, dang it. Uh, you know, it's been a long and wonderful career. So I, I, I did see that photo this morning. So thank you for sending that. And, uh, yes, the, the, I had a whole selection of photos from that year. There appears to be more hair and less poundage. <laughs> True. <laughs> oh, dear. I also actually had the privilege to sub for you once at the National Academies of Science. And what a fascinating day that was. So you must have a ball doing that, too. Yeah, that's one of the uh, things that I really love about uh, NEMT is to, uh, my appointment to the National Academies and the Preparedness Committee there. It's uh, uh, just uh, really a fantastic group of critical thinkers. And um, some of the stuff that comes out of that committee is just really phenomenal. Excellent. So we're going to find out in a minute if a week is really a long time in politics. But before we do that, let's just take five minutes to listen to my long narration of my article this week, which is called Treatment in Lure Transport. So uh, sit back, Bruce, listen in, and we'll come back after the narration. The votes are in and counted. The president has signed the bill. But someone else has our cake and will now decide how many slices we get and how much of it we can eat. President Biden signed the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 on March the 11th, 2021. As has been widely reported, one of the many provisions within the 550-page law is the new CMS waiver authority that would provide reimbursement to ambulance services for treatment in place during the public health emergency. Specifically, this waiver would allow CMS to pay for ground ambulance services furnished in response to a 911 call or equivalent in areas without 911 in cases where a patient was not transported but instead treated in place in accordance with community-wide EMS protocols. The genesis of this element of the Act can be traced back to the sterling work done by a collaboration of our national associations, including AAA, NAEMT, IAFC, IAFF and the NVFC, who came together at the beginning of the pandemic to act as one voice for the good and benefit of all things EMS. 
One of the targets of their combined legislative focus was to gain reimbursement for doing the one thing that EMS generally does not earn money from, which is treatment in place, or as we know now, TIP, or more accurately, treatment in lieu of transport, or TILT. The early sticking point occurred as CMS identified that it didn't have statutory authority to waive the transport requirement for payment. In response, the assembled associations used the power of lobby to place this authority in the Act and it was subsequently signed off by POTUS. Matt Zavadsky, commenting on my recent podcast, noted that to some extent this is earth-shattering in that for the first time CMS has been instructed by our elected officials in Congress to give EMS reimbursement for essentially treatment and no transport. So far so good, but we're not over the finish line yet. The Act essentially awarded CMS the authority to determine if a new Public Health Emergency Waiver Authority can be issued, and therefore if payment can be made. In other words, they have the cake and will now determine how much of it we get to eat. The associations are now at work to get us over the next hurdle. The small print in the Act identified that EMS agencies must ensure that they have a community-wide EMS protocol in place that describes when treatment in place and no transport should take place. The AAA is conducting a survey to collect and collate the answer to a key question. As the AAA noted, CMS will likely want to understand the scope and the documentation of ground ambulance services provided during the pandemic when there was a community-wide EMS protocol in place that prohibited transporting certain patients. The key question they asked in the survey is, did your organisation experience restrictions on being able to transport certain patients to any approved Medicare destination during the pandemic that resulted in your company providing healthcare services to the patient but not transporting him or her? Armed with the necessary information, the task at hand is then to lobby, perhaps all contribute to a letter-writing call to action and ask CMS to provide the waiver for both future and retrospective treatment where transport would be otherwise indicated, but protocols indicate this not need occur. As Zavansky noted on my podcast, we know that this is a very narrow scope. If we weren't having a pandemic, we would have transported those people. There is a pandemic. There were community protocols that said, don't bring these people to the hospital. It's a very limited focus, however, it allows us to demonstrate that treatment in place is safe, it improves patient experience, and reduces expenses. The CMS waiver and its payments will probably not make EMS whole for the hard work and sacrifice it's delivered and endured in the last year. But it will acknowledge that the patient has been provided with an on-scene EMS medical solution by us, and not a transport to a location for someone else to fix. This recognition in the short term is probably worth more than the payments themselves. The value of TIP within the Act was scored by the Congressional Budget Office with a value of $10 million, in other words, a very limited benefit. The long game here is to identify the good we have done and have it permanently installed, hopefully turn it into a genie that can't be pushed back into the bottle. But right now, with Xavier Becerra now sworn in as the 25th Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, the pressure is on to get our TIP waiver through without delay, lest the state of emergency be concluded, which would effectively close the door on this opportunity. As always, that was my take on things. I'd love to hear your take in the column on the uh, page that the article was printed on at ems1.com, or you can leave your comments uh, on, the, on the article at ems1.com's Facebook page.
Bruce, as I said, a week is a long time in politics. We've got the president to sign off on the American Rescue Plan. The words and uh, hopefully the meaning of treatment in place is in there. CMS have the quote unquote authority to do something now. What's happened this week? Well, I think, uh, you know, first of all, Rob, I think you got to put this in perspective a little bit is uh, it, you know, we're the best way I can describe this kind of in military terms where we're expanding our beachhead. Aha, uh-huh, yes. You know, and I think for decades, we've gone to CMS and we've tried to explain to them how we really operate and and really where some of the payment models should shift. You know, our finance and economics committee led by Matt Savatsky has done a fantastic job collaborating with the AAA and the IFF and the IFC to make this happen. Now they're finally listening. They're they're starting to kind of get what we do. And I think that the uh, treatment in place in lieu of transport is a great uh, a, a first step. Um, you know, I think we we landed on the beach with uh, ET3. And now, like I said, we're advancing this beachhead a little bit more with uh, CMS kind of starting to understand that, you know, there are other options than going to the hospital. That's great. But I think in legislative terms, they still, uh, as I said, uh, the president gave them our cake. They now need to decide how much of it we can receive and eventually how much of it we can eat. So we're not, I don't think we're quite there in the, we know how we can claim this, how this can actually work for real because it hasn't been set down yet. Right. And I think that there's still, you know, like we say in, in uh, like all EMS calls, uh, the job's not over until the paperwork's done. Right. Um, exactly. So there's, obviously a fair amount of uh, negotiated rulemaking that has to go on with CMS on this about, you know, for example, what needs to be documented in a treat no transport situation. Um, For example, you know, do you have to have a full set of vital signs? Do you have, you know, would that include something like pulse oximetry on a COVID patient to make sure, you know, a lot of the crisis standards of care that we came up with or that the national academies had put out um, related to, you know, what, what should qualify as a transport in a crisis standard of care and what can stay home and be monitored. And, you know, some of those clinical indicators that the physicians had worked over and debated and, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, put out as a written uh, document for guidance, um, you know, is important. And, you know, are we, are we going to operate off of that? Are we, you know, is a paperwork requirement? So, you know, like I said, there's still a fair amount of rulemaking. There's still a fair amount of procedural uh, process that has to go with this. And, and, and I think the only um, thing that, you know, gives me hope on this is that, like I said, the current folks at CMS are listening now. They're listening to understand and not just listening to respond. That's good news. But also there's some small print around, did you have a protocol in place or what, were there some sort of state protocol or indeed, you know, was did the emergency actually cover you? So there's a little bit of homework, I think, for everybody to do to make sure that uh, they had the, the conditions set in order to take this forward. Yeah. And I think the treat uh, or the, you know, non-transport protocols, most people um, have a, a non-transport protocol. And I would say that you know, very sophisticated EMS systems that have, you know, staff to do um, quality improvement are also tracking non-transports and looking at those from a quality initiative. Um, And I think that's another key piece of this. You know, one of the things that CMS is always trying to do for us, and, you know, they'd they'd love to really help us out a lot more, 
But as we all know, there's no more money. Um, right. Or, you know, or maybe they're just going to continue to print money. Who knows? But the uh, they're looking for shared saving. What is it that ultimately um, helps CMS save money in the long run? Um, can these transports stay at home with our assessment for patient safety issues? Um, is there an alternative destination um, like what Brenda Staffen had demonstrated up at the REMSA system in Reno, you know, that about $5,000 per person to go to an alternative destination versus, uh, you know, going to the emergency room. Um, all these things are, are important and, and they involve economics. And, and that's really what uh, CMS is looking for is where are we saving the healthcare system money downstream by doing a treat and no transport or a treat and thorough assessment and maybe a community paramedicine or mobile integrated healthcare follow-up later that, that makes financial sense to CMS. There's still stuff to do, Bruce. Uh, I mean, what, what's, what's your assessment of the next steps and things to do? Well, it's a work in progress and um, people need to be persistent and be patient. And I think the other big piece of this is that we're looking for some uh, attendance and we're looking for people to, to speak up uh, at EMS Day on the Hill. And one of the topics that'll be at EMS Day on the Hill, while we had the uh, uh, treatment in place uh, legislation on the radar screen for the teams to discuss with their legislative representatives, now that that's over the hill, um, one of the things we wanna be able to do is thank our uh, elected representatives for getting it over the hill and getting it you know, getting it passed. So I think a lot of times, you know, people pass legislation and they think it's a done deal and they move on. And, you know, the people that are there, you know, uh, making the sausages, I should say, in the, in the legislative halls and having to negotiate all this stuff, um, you know, it is a lot of work. Um, you know, it's a lot of staff time. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of consideration and, and we need to thank them for what, you know, for their accomplishments in that. And, you know, how they've helped us out on it. You segue quite nicely into my next question for you, actually. EMS on the Hill, which takes place from the 13th to the 15th of April 2021. The beauty of this EMS on the Hill is it's virtual, so you can do it from the comfort of your own Zoom screen. How are things going in preparation for that, first of all? So our attendance is higher than it uh, typically has been, at, uh, at least for the registrations, um, as the in-person event. Although, you know, we really struggled this year to um, debate whether we were going to go virtual and whether COVID will still be an issue or we should go in person. For, you know, Rob, you've been to EMS Day on the Hill and yep. you know that how valuable it is to have all those uniforms wandering around Capitol Hill, um, the impact that it makes, and the fact that you get to personally meet um, your representatives in most cases. Um, and then certainly you understand how. Um, the Capitol Hill works and you know what key staffers are important in getting your issues um, up to your elected representatives. So um, this year, um, we've got great attendance. Like I said, we've got some of our usual uh, heavy hitters, folks that bring in a lot of, a lot of people like the state of Tennessee, uh, you know, the Tennessee Ambulance Association is usually there in force. Um, I think this year we have a fairly large contingency from Indiana um, and a large contingency from Colorado. So. Um, so, so far, so good. Uh, the registration is looking great. Um, it's, it will be virtual. So to give people that 
um, maybe didn't have the funds to travel uh, in the past, uh, an opportunity to participate in this process. And, um, you know, that this is the million dollar question is, are we going to stay virtual with all these things or are we going to get back to in-person stuff? I was uh, talking to Matt Zabadsky and uh, Gary Ludwig the other week. And of course, the thing I'm going to miss mostly about EMS on the Hill, and you'll understand why, is the 17,000 steps. But also one of the things we did, and when you do get back to a chance to go back to live, one of the things we used to do from Richmond was take some of our, I call them our young officers, our junior leaders, and take them up there so they can experience the whole hill, you know, layout, how it all works to get in front of their elected officials to be able to tell their stories. Um, But one of the things that Matt noted when I spoke to him the other week, of course, is with the advent of Zoom, you can, instead of my 17,000 steps, cover far more ground and cover far more people. And I think one of your ambitions is to hit all 435 members um, of Congress and 100 members of the Senate. So any states that we need to say, oi, come on, get signed up. Yeah, so um, just kind of looking at the numbers uh, so far, you know, we have uh, fairly low attendance from uh, people in Washington, uh, people in Michigan, which normally Michigan has been right. Come on, on. you Michiganders. Uh, Minnesota, uh, still got low numbers there. We have nobody from Maine yet, and we have nobody from Vermont, and uh, nobody from New Mexico. And it looks like we're also missing a few from Montana and Arkansas. Right. Well, we'll put out a call to action because we want to make sure that uh, we fill all of those 300, sorry, 435 Zoom screens and 100 Senate screens uh, with uh, our presence. So uh, now, we mentioned clearly uh, TIP is on the legislative agenda for EMS on the Hill. What else is on the to-do list there? So, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion going on right now with the PSOB uh, material, um, the public safety officers benefit package. There, there's additional uh, relief issues. Um, I know that the infrastructure bill is also being discussed by, you know, kind of all of the EMS agencies that are on the Hill routinely. Um, so uh, as we as we move through some of these current legislative issues, I know that the, the accounting EMS professionals is also on the legislative docket um, to get some legislation to look forward to, um, you know, documenting actually how many EMS workers there are in this country. Um, we still don't have that accurate number. We know uh, firefighters and we know um, police officers, but you know, especially people that are in dual roles, say, for example, police officer paramedics and firefighter paramedics and um, hospital based paramedics, you know, where and EMTs where how many how many do we really have in this country? So there's there is a um, some legislation to look at uh, how we count that. It's quite something, though, isn't it? We're in 2021 and we don't really know how many of us there are. So, Rob, I don't, um, you know, I, I know that as this thing evolves and, and we look at what's happened with um, the um, TIP program being, you know, being over the hill a little bit, like I said, there's still a lot of work to be done on it. You know, our, our key focus is going to be thanking those folks. Um, we're also going to be talking about the Siren Act. Um, and many of you that um, hopefully are aware of what's going on with the Siren Act in the rural healthcare setting. Um, you know, some agencies have been very fortunate to receive the Siren Act last year um, and uh, $5 million in supplemented EMS training. But we think that the Siren Act needs more money. Um, certainly rural EMS has suffered in the COVID um, outbreak or the COVID pandemic a lot more significantly than um, some of the urban and suburban departments have. So the Siren Act is something we're trying to get beefed up. 
and we're trying to get a little bit more money put into the Siren Act and uh, get it to uh, stretch those dollars a little bit farther. So the key thing is that we are, you, we, I'm going to be there too, are looking out for everybody in the country, uh, whether you're urban, rural, super rural, there's going to be something for everybody that we're going to talk about. And as you say, thanking our elected officials for the work they've done on our behalf as well is also a major part of this. Right. And, you know, when you talk about um, people getting, you know, the additional uh, Medicare extenders is on the docket. We know that that's important, especially again to the super rurals where, you know, you have that 32% bonus that comes in. Um, those extenders we're always struggling with, and we keep getting extensions on those. Um, I know there's an uh, interest to make those extenders permanent instead of having to come back and fight for them, you know, every year um, or get every five years to get another five-year extension. So the Medicare extenders bill is also on the, on the legislation. Um, that we're trying to push. And then, like, like I said, the EMS Counts Act, which which we're trying to, again, uh, determine exactly what uh, the makeup of the workforce is in EMS in this country. And then, like I said, the, the Siren Act appropriations, where we're trying to put a little bit more money into um, the Siren Act and get, um, get a little bit more money out for education in the rural settings. Great. EMS on the Hill, 13th to the 15th of April. If you haven't signed up or if you're from one of those states where we need a little bit more support, please go ahead and do so. Bruce, president of NAMT, you're coming up to the uh, that, that, that magical presidential first 100 days. How would you assess it's gone so far? Well, it, it went by fast, as I can tell <laughs> yeah. you, but as most people would tell you that, you know, any new elected position, you turn around and you look at the calendar and say, wow, it's been 100 days already. So, um, I, I would just say, <clears throat> I think our um, our committee structure, which is kind of the meat and potatoes of NAMT, is doing fantastic. We have a lot of uh, a lot of effort that's being done in the um, EMS Lighthouse Leadership Committee. That's on the James O'Page, uh, you know, kind of working out the James O'Page mentoring program. And there's Excellent. been a lot of structure that's been put into that committee. Um, obviously, that um, EMS advocates. They've done a, a fantastic job of getting this uh, TIP legislation over the hill um, with their local uh, lobbying efforts in each state. We uh, were advanced planning now for our political academy that's coming up in May. We haven't um, we haven't released the uh, speaker agenda on that, but it will be kind of our first step into um, putting NAMT members in touch with EMS folks that have been elected officials or are currently elected officials. And you're going to get it from the horse's mouth about what it's like to run for office, what it's like to finance your campaign, um, some tricks of the trade, as we would say, um, when you're getting ready to, to make a run for office. And, and that's our goal is that we'd like to see more EMS people actually in the state houses. Um, which is kind of the farm club for a run up to the big house in Washington, D.C. But uh, again, my, my personal philosophy on this is that we need more EMTs and paramedics in Congress because that you're rubbing elbows with the people that are making the decisions about what we do, how we're financed. And if they get a chance to look over at a colleague and say, so tell me, how does this treatment in place thing work? And a colleague that has EMS background or that's from the EMS world um, has the ability to kind of explain to them in detail at a, at a committee meeting or at a luncheon or wherever they may be interacting, then we're, we're going to get our 
our profession to um, move forward and not just be thought of as ambulance drivers. This is a fascinating concept, Bruce, and maybe we can come back sometime later and discuss the the, the, the course and also the takeaways from that. That would be uh, really interesting, and uh, I look forward to, to listening to that one. Before we finish, Bruce, and thank you for your, your update on your first 100 days, you had a... Uh, an accident in the district yesterday and I hope everybody's okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, the fire service, probably one of the most dangerous pieces of apparatus you operate is a water tender. Um, you know, that, um, huge, uh, higher center of gravity, heavily weighted vehicle. Um, in, in our case yesterday, we had uh, a snowstorm that was going on. We'd had a lot of snow and ice the night before. So the roads were, um, what I would probably describe treacherous. Um, we had a citizen that was illegally burning. He was burning a giant pile of lumber, and that's not supposed to happen um, in southwest Colorado. You're supposed to only have like a four by four um, slash pile. And unfortunately, this guy had set this pile of lumber on fire, trying to dispose of it. And, um, you know, when it started burning, it threatened his house, it threatened his oh, cars in his garage. So um, it triggered a 911 response for a fire call. And in the process of going to that call, one of our tenders, uh, um, came up on a car that tapped its brakes and so the operator taps his brakes on the truck to slow it down and give him a little bit more distance between the vehicle in front of him and his vehicle and it put the truck into a skid um, went off the road and rolled over um, with pretty severe damage to the vehicle but pinned him in there for almost an hour um, you know one of the things that a lot of our ambulances um, you know this is kind of a, an extrapolation for that is that when you go when you're off your wheels in those air ride seats that are in vehicles, you know, once you, you know, kind of take the weight of the body off the seat by putting it on its side or upside down, those air ride seats push you up against the steering wheel. Um, so fortunately he wasn't hurt. He had a belt on, uh, he was seat belted and it was fairly low speed uh, impact about 25 miles an hour or less. And um, the air ride seat wound up pushing him and pinning him against the steering wheel. So, Took us a while to get him out. Um, pretty emotional event for me because the guy's uh, wife is just about ready to give, uh, you know, uh, deliver their first baby. And, um, you know, I just was hoping that it wasn't going to be a fatal injury, knowing that a lot of tender crashes that happen across the country result in a fatality. Um, you know, the U.S. Fire Administration's put out warnings on these trucks. You know, we give extensive driver training. Matter of fact, this guy was driver operator uh, certified. He'd taken SIVO. He'd taken the EVOC course twice, uh, you know, every two years um, in the SIVO class in between that. Um, so it, it, he wasn't a poorly trained driver by any means. It was just, uh, you know, just takes a second on a slick road on a curve and uh, you transfer the weight in these vehicles by tapping the brakes. It's eight tons of water on the on the roadway. And, uh, and, and it resulted in, uh, in a bad outcome for our vehicle, but a good outcome for our employee and happy to report that he had only minor injuries and he's home with his wife. And, um, you know, I'm not having to make that dreaded call that, you know, somebody is not going home. That's excellent news. My thoughts go out to uh, to your crewman and obviously his family. And uh, I saw the photographs that you posted, Bruce, and uh, the, the great leader that you are, the, the, the line in your commentary that stuck, of course, is that trucks are replaceable, people aren't. That's uh, very true. And uh, I'm glad that they're all doing very well. Well, thanks for, thanks, Robin. You know, we're taking a, a, a page out of Alan Brunacini's playbook. You know, when we have mishaps like this, I think it's good to share and hopefully... 
you know, some other firefighter that's operating in a rural department that's operating a tender old, um, take those visuals and, uh, you know, maybe just a little bit of extra caution um, as they respond to a call. And hopefully uh, somebody else doesn't have to have a bad out. Well, Bruce, thank you for the update. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure having you as a guest. And uh, I know that uh, we'll have you back again sometime in the future. Anyway, you can all follow me on Twitter at UKRobL1 or on LinkedIn. Uh, EMS One Stop and EMS Inside EMS is available, believe it or not, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Stitcher and Spotify. I don't have half of those, but they're out there somewhere. Talking of EMS, uh, please hang on for just a second, because on this channel next will be Chris and Kelly with another edition of Inside EMS. So my guest has been Bruce Evans. I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now.